Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Marcus Kane. Marcus is a nutrition coach who helps individuals to beat binge eating and to create a rewarding relationship with food and exercise. Marcus joins us today to discuss binge eating and overeating and how you can step away from binge behaviours and gain the freedom from food that you deserve. Hello Marcus. Hey Hannah, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, Yeah, feeling good. It's nice and sunny outside, so spring has finally arrived and I feel so much happier. My mood has elevated since (laughs) the sun has come back. It's noticeable, isn't it? Like when you go outside after a few months of grey and the sun's Uh out, you're like, oh wow, this actually does feel different. Yeah, and it's like, I think the biggest shock for me was the evenings of like, oh God, I finished work and then I'm still able to go out and do stuff. And I went for a walk on Sunday with my friends and it was so nice to just like Mm. be in a jumper and just wandering around rather than like a massive trench coat because I'm so cold. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. I'm a huge fan of it staying lighter for longer, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I was saying to my mum the other day, it's kind of like funny how all the things come at once because you have like the miserable winter and then all of a sudden you've got like really beautiful flowers and it's sun shining and the days are longer. It's like, can't we have like some of those elements in the winter just to keep us going as well, rather than being awful (laughs) and then wonderful? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like what, what to keep going through the winter? I mean, I always find myself looking forward to Christmas. Mm -hmm. So the moment winter starts to hit, I'm like, oh no, but that's okay because we've got all this really cool Christmas stuff coming. Mm -hmm. And obviously moving from Australia to the UK, in the UK now I get to experience Christmas as I read about it in all like the stories that I was reading growing up. So it's really magical for me, like getting Mm -hmm. cold Christmases now and that real storybook Christmas. So I love that. And then my birthday is in January. So that kind of gets me through January. But then mm-hmm. uh, when February hits, I'm kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this now. Can we, yeah. can we move it along? When, what date's your birthday? The 27th. Mine's the 28th. Holy shit, really? Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> um, yeah, when you said that, I was like, oh, I wonder if it's the same day. I did a podcast a few months ago and didn't talk about birthdays got to the end her name was also Han and she went by Han and her surname began with a H and then we were talking about I think it was before Christmas and we were talking about like oh it's okay because our birthday's afterwards and she said January and I was like oh when's your birthday she's like 28th and I was like oh my god (laughs) but she was I think four years older than me so it wasn't the same year but that was very funny um so did you have like a did you have like a barbecue for Christmas did you do the because that's what you hear about uh, what people do in Australia in Australia yeah so funnily enough there's always like the combination of things we have or my family at least had a very traditional like roast Christmas dinner okay with kind of barbecue elements and other bits and pieces nice. thrown in there so uh-huh. last Christmas or the last Christmas that I was in Australia for uh, my my wife came with me and and we were at my sister's house and we were obviously by the pool and everything like that so it was this weird combination where we've got like the roast dinner sitting by the pool 
<laughs> cold drinks with a few barbecue things in there, uh-huh. it it just it becomes yeah, it becomes a bit of a mess of different influences, but it's fun. Yeah, that's that sounds so fun. But I'm also thinking like I just have a distinct memory of my mum making a roast for us like one summer. And we all just sat there like, it's way too hot to eat this. Like, I don't know how we're going to do this. So, yeah, I can imagine sitting by the pool with a roast. Do you have gravy? Because I feel like that would... Oh, yeah. yeah oh, wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We just, we just learn to eat winter meals when it's hot. Like, nice. You just, you gotta you do just it. do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a skill set. Yeah. I like the perseverance. That is very good. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, so excited to chat to you. And I think this is a topic that a lot of people will find really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to start off maybe to learn a bit about yourself. So how did you get into the work that you're doing, sort of coaching people to step away from binge eating? In short, I've always wanted to help people with what I consider to be the biggest limiting factors and the biggest problems. So Mm -hmm. I went through a career in the fitness industry that started with sports massage from there, Mm -hmm. went to personal training from there, went to nutrition coaching and from nutrition coaching, I was like, okay, why, why are so many people experiencing these, Mm -hmm. these troubles? It's never really been enough for me to just lean on what we could call commonplace garden variety answers that we're all just meant to accept as the solution, even though they might not be working out for like nine out of 10 people. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not satisfied with people coming to me for help and, and, and not walking away, having their life changed dramatically mm-hmm. for the better. So I've always wanted to be in the health and fitness space and uh, this process where I am now is just the result of pulling on that thread, finding the things that are really causing people problems because, you know, there are so many people who go into gyms mm. or who might make some changes with their nutrition and, you know, they, they do it relatively easily and they take to it like a duck to water and it's fine. They have good experiences, but I'm always thinking, what about all the people who currently aren't having good experiences? What about, you know, like I want this to be for everybody and I want to help people avoid the traps and the problems that I fell into myself. So, yeah, I guess that's why I'm here now in the disordered eating space. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing because I think especially in like the fitness and diet industry now, it's like if you can't kind of stick to these kind of things that we're suggesting would work then it's your fault and like if you're not able Mm. to adhere to them long term then that's your fault um I'm really interested to about the sort of traps that you mentioned there that you know you've seen people fall into and your experience as well so what are some of the sort of common traps that you've seen people fall into definitely it sounds very cliche but overvaluing weight and shape like overvaluing our appearance and and this is not to say that it's not human to be invested in our appearance like it's normal to care about how we look Mm -hmm. but we often fall into these traps of putting way way too much value in the specifics of our appearance like when 
overestimating what we're going to gain or what we might gain or what fulfillment or happiness we might find from having a very, very specific physical appearance. Mm. I think we could go like, we could unpack that box for days in terms of why (laughs) we end up with that, uh, with that belief system. But definitely that is a big one putting way too much stock in looking a certain way. And of course, you know, we want to take some pride in our appearance. It's okay to want to have autonomy regarding our appearance, 100% cool. But when we jump to conclusions about exactly how much benefit or fulfillment looking a certain way is going to bring to our lives without taking into account the bigger picture of our life, that's definitely going to cause problems. We start hyper fixating on weight and shape on unsustainable dietary patterns we develop obsessive or kind of compulsive tendencies with with food and nutrition we get into really dicey mental territory so that losing perspective i guess is Mm -hmm. a huge huge trap and i think if we were to i've seen this with a lot of the athletes that i've been lucky enough to be friends with and and work with that the people who are really I guess what we could call successful in maintaining a very very long and happy relationship with food and exercise and even achieving some of the aesthetic results that we might look at and go oh wow that's cool if we reverse engineer their process they always start with a a seed of curiosity regarding nutrition and exercise Mm -hmm. and pull on that thread and they do what they're interested in and they they're constantly curious about oh what would happen if i trained like this or what would happen if i you know changed my diet up in this way or did that and they 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 are approaching it from that perspective rather than from this approach of like i'm not satisfied with myself i need to hit certain benchmarks I will give myself the approval and love that I feel or I'll only give myself that when I reach a certain benchmark. Mm -hmm. So that's something kind of interesting to look at when we look at these traps, like the intent behind the different actions, like two different people can perform essentially the same action, the same training plan, the same diet, the same everything, but they could have different They can be in different emotional spaces Mm. and with different intents. And that is going to create a completely different path and result and experience for both those people. So those, those kind of traps, definitely I fell into myself Mm. and I'm working with people now to help avoid those. Yeah. I think when you were speaking about the intent, I think that's such an important thing that we often don't, consider and putting all of the sort of um you know your goals and your intentions around weight and shape I think can be really dangerous and I think it's really you know a lot of people have that as part of it but I think you know maybe having different goals and different intentions so you know like you were saying about athletes it might be that they're doing a certain thing in order to improve their strength or improve their time or you know different things like that and that as a sort of offset might impact the way, I mean, it probably will impact the way that their weight and shape appears, but 
I think the really key thing there that you said was not basing your success over like arbitrary things such as the way that you look because ultimately like you said we can say okay I want to have x characteristic about me but you can't guarantee that particular behaviors are going to provide that and it could be that they provide other elements to your life like you know you might have more flexibility in your life or you might have a better social life or whatever, but you're so blindsided because all you're focused on is that one specific aesthetic that doesn't Mm. come because, you know, potentially your body is not created in a way. I always think about things like abs, you know, Mm. abs are genetic, like some people will get them and some people can do exactly the same dietary patterns, exactly the same exercise. They're just not going to come. Some people might have them in a different shape or whatever. Um, But you'd be so focused on getting abs that you wouldn't look at all the other things that you've achieved from your new, your new dietary patterns and, and the new exercise regime that you've got. 100%. And then we, we overvalue or we overestimate the, the, the gain or the benefit mm-hmm. in achieving things like visible abs, like as you know, someone who's been there and done that and sacrificed a lot, um, went through a lot of years of, of, disordered eating and, and mm-hmm. eating disorders in maintaining that the the actual like sacrifice to reward ratio wasn't there like it's mm-hmm. it's not like if you achieve that people will say oh my god you're an amazing person now any <laughs> anyone who finds you know your body fat percentage or whatever like that to be the most valuable thing about you or the most attractive thing about you like they can go fuck themselves so you know <laughs> it's 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 this thing where we get into the this cycle or this pattern of of thinking oh yeah achieving that will bring me something mm-hmm. and it it almost never does and then we look at what you said in terms of well you know some things are possible for some people and and it's not that something might be impossible for someone but it's just the amount of sacrifice and work that might go into one person maintaining something like visible abs versus another person and the reward that actually Mm -hmm. comes from that it's completely out of whack yeah i think you're completely right i think the the reward that people perceive you know having abs or whatever it's so glorified in society and you know people see you as a quote-unquote better person you know because of that but you know actually like you said the people that think that probably are not people that you actually care about their opinions anyway um you know it might be some random person at the gym that comments on you and you and then it's like okay but by being by engaging in these activities which mean that i'm getting these abs i'm actually now not able to you know spend time with my loved ones or be engaged with my loved ones or whatever Mm. and that is like you know that sacrifice that you said so i guess my question would be because i think it's so common that you know when people are especially in the gym and things like that to have almost superficial goals on you know based around aesthetics how do you work with somebody to sort of shift that mindset because i don't think it's as easy as just saying well, don't, don't worry about, you know, getting abs or whatever, because in society, it's constantly, you know, you're constantly yeah. bombarded, with all the, bombarded with all these messages about how you should look. Yeah, it is a very individual journey for mm. every single person that I work with. I mean, this is one of the reasons why at this stage, I don't really do group 
coaching. Mm. I only do one-to-one coaching in terms of, in terms of this journey, because there is no formula for it. Like there are, there are common links and common factors and principles that we need to find a way to address. But the way that I discuss this process and work through this process with one person, if I was to write a book based on that particular experience with that person, it wouldn't resonate effectively for the next person. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's about finding very much what resonates with you in terms of how you can really create corrective experiences that help you to feel differently, Mm -hmm. to genuinely feel different because we could sit here and say, love yourself um, regardless of your appearance, focus on intrinsic self-worth, focus on eating in a way that's both fun and allows you to enjoy life and as well is nourishing and healthy exercise in a way that you enjoy we all know that on paper right like we all Mm -hmm. know but how do we feel in alignment with that and Mm -hmm. the road to feeling that way the road to feeling in good alignment with those principles is to go on a a bit of a journey that creates experiences that give you conviction behind the feelings associated with being in alignment with those actions, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, no, I think it does. I think it's, it's so easy to just say things, you know, like love yourself or or whatever. Um, But actually, and I think this ties in so nicely to kind of like fitness and um, diets and stuff like that is as a society, we just want a quick fix. Like we want yeah. the thing that's the easiest thing to do and the quickest thing to do. And whether it's fitness, whether it's, um, you know, adjusting how you're eating, whether it's learning that you're learning about yourself, those things take time. And I think that's, you know, that's why it's not just a one size fits all easy answer of, you know, in order to you know like yourself you just got you just have to tell yourself that you like yourself and you just have to say in the mirror every day I like myself it's it's you know that is an element that you could do but it takes so long and I think that's what I really find interesting about you know when I speak to individuals that have had their own personal experience and are now supporting others it's incredible because they're able to bring their experience to the table and you know share what they've been through um but equally you know that's still going to take time for that other person to find that place themselves, which can be a hard thing to kind of accept. You know, I just want to love myself now. Like I don't want to take years or whatever to, and obviously it's a process, isn't it? It's not just like you wake up five years later and all of a sudden like, Oh my God, I'm amazing. I'm I'm finally (laughs) at that place. Um, But yeah, I think it's accepting that change takes time. um, And that, that in itself is hard. That is, I think that's, definitely one of the biggest obstacles for 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 most people i mean Mm. all of this is you know thinking right doing something the right way and by the right way i mean in a way that's going to produce long-term success that stays with us often things that produce that long-term success and real change aren't the things that are going to produce immediate relief in the moment Mm. from difficult feelings. So that 
definitely I feel is one of the biggest obstacles. And if we can bring some self-compassion and curiosity to the process, you know, get a bit of distance from that kind of inner critic and approach it with, you know, a more compassionate and curious attitude, then we can, you know, at least give ourselves a little bit of relief from what we're experiencing in the moment in the name of putting into place and taking action, the kind of things that really produce those sustainable results long-term. And I think that leads us so nicely to talk about like binge eating um, because you kind of said there that, you know, everybody wants that relief in the moment and bringing things in um, like, you know, compassion and things like that can support that, but often don't feel quite as, as much as we need. Um, Whereas, you know, the act of binge eating that does provide that kind of, it's not long-term in the slightest, it's very short-term, <laughs> but it provides that relief for people. So how do you work with your clients to kind of gain that sense of relief from something that, that isn't you know, quite so negative um, on their life? That's a really good question and a really good observation uh, because, yeah, in some ways, binge eating or leaning on food does feel like it serves us in the moment Mm. so one of the fundamental things is to on a very it might sound boring but like on a very practical level before we dive into like mindset of work and any of that stuff just making sure that on a very basic physiological level that we're getting enough food Uh, I know that sounds boring and I'll get to some more interesting stuff in a second, but like there are, there are techniques that can allow us to move through the discomfort that we might be using binge eating to escape from. However, if we're putting ourselves in a position where we're trying to implement great mindset kind of skill sets while at the same time being physiologically starved, there is no mindset work in the world that is going to be able Mm -hmm. to overcome a genuine need for a a good variety and good quantity of of nourishing and satisfying food. So Mm -hmm. before anything else, that's what I work with people on. We we talk about, okay, what exactly is going on in terms of food? Um, And that comes with its own, challenges as well like we've been dieting for a long time getting comfortable with the fact that we might need to take a step back from dieting and just eat for optimal wellness without crossing the line into orthorexia like Mm. you know that like that's a bit of a challenge and then from there really getting into how we're handling those moments of discomfort that we might be trying to uh, escape from using food, leaning into some of that discomfort, putting some of our thoughts and feelings in perspective and and developing a skill set, like a really strong skill set around managing discomfort, essentially understanding that these things do come in waves. These things are going to pass and creating a way of dealing with those moments without feeling like we need to run from them or like we need to escape from them 
So I have a question, um, and I don't think it's just going to be a straightforward answer. Sure. <clears throat> um, but I think you hear a lot, you know, in eating disorder recovery in general, that kind of the first thing is that you need to be nourishing your body and eating enough. Um, but if you have had an eating disorder, often you don't know like what is enough and yeah. we're still not sort of recovered from that eating disorder. So there's a lot of thoughts around that's too much or that's too little or what have you. So how do you navigate ensuring that somebody's kind of eating adequately? Cause I feel like that for me would be a complete minefield of like, well, I just don't know what, what's adequate. Yeah. And that's a, a really, really good point. It's a, it's a difficult one, but it's a really good point. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, it, again, it becomes a bit of a unique journey for everyone. Some people find a lot of benefit in me doing something like literally providing them with a visual representation of, a, like, and this would be very triggering for some people, but not mm -hmm. others. So we have to, we have to really have a few conversations and decide what is best. So just trigger warning for anyone who's very, very, um, you know, who's, who's fixating very much on calories and everything like that at the moment. There's no way to answer this question without talking about calories just a little bit. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, cool. So maybe just not like specific numbers, but mentioning calories is fine. Okay, cool. Yeah. I won't go into specific numbers at all. Um, so for some people, it has helped them to, um, you know, to give them like a visual representation of their daily calorie intake, setting the number aside completely and going, you know, when it comes to the foods that, that you enjoy and that are going to nourish you, well, like this is literally the quantity of food that could be associated with a, a, a healthy daily intake for you. Putting aside the dieting, putting aside the whatever, putting aside the numbers even and just doing, I do my best to, in some cases, provide this visual representation. And for people who might be in a more in a more difficult place, maybe a really difficult place, I'll, I'll always do my best to set aside what is ideal and what is perfect, and to go, okay, where are you at right now, and what is what is a step that we might be able to take over the coming days or the coming weeks that you feel challenges you a little bit but doesn't leave you feeling overwhelmed mm -hmm. because we don't want to like we're talking about two different people here essentially and everyone in between on on this kind of spectrum we might have some people that have just been down a bit of a dieting rabbit hole and have, have really lost sight of how much food is is the right amount for them and then other people who are restricting quite heavily and and have, have been through some trauma with with that and mm -hmm. In that case, when someone is in a really difficult, painful place, then that becomes more of a a, uh, a thing of going, okay, let's put aside perfection and, and, and what might be, you know, the ideal right now. And, and let's just focus on taking a step in, in that direction without you feeling overwhelmed. Because the moment someone feels overwhelmed in that situation, they're just going to go, I'm out. Yeah. So... And also it's, it's worth me mentioning here that of course I'm not a medical professional. I don't work in the capacity of like inpatient care. So I'm not working with people who 
have severe like life-threatening uh issues with restriction Mm -hmm. i'm working more in the disordered eating space than with with people who might be experiencing very Mm -hmm. severe medical risks so if we were to talk about what i do as a coach with people experiencing a lot of intrusive thoughts and obsessions surrounding food and kind of getting in a bit of that loop that is again that's a different conversation to like one of these amazing medical professionals who works in inpatient care with people who, you know, uh, are in like life-threatening positions. Yeah. I really like that. And I like the fact that you sort of, I mean, what is a perfect diet anyway, but that you step away from that with people and talk, talk about sort of what's right in the moment for you right now. Because I think often when we think about uh, recovery or eating disorder recovery, you've, people tend to it's very black and white isn't it and we'll think you know currently I'm eating this and in order to be better I need to eat this and that is like so far apart that it feels completely impossible but actually taking a step back and thinking okay what's something you know whether it's this week or today that you can do that's manageable but still challenges some part of that so that we're keeping on board with you know moving towards that better better life and that more healthier lifestyle but not, you know, just like jumping in at the deep end. And I think there's a lot of like, you know, discussion around, should you just jump in at the deep end or Mm. should you take it slowly? And again, I think that completely depends on the person and their situation. You know, sometimes, like you said, if somebody's in a very severe state with their physical condition, it might be that they might just need to go in and at the deep end. um, And that might feel really uncomfortable, but I think, you know, if somebody's in a place where they, I would say that that's not actively engaging in recovery. I would say that that's like, you know, medical stabilization. When somebody's ready to actively engage in recovery and do that mindset work that you were talking about, taking things a bit slower and doing things, you know, at a pace that feels reasonable. I think that's going to make those long-term changes that we were talking about at the start. It's almost like, you know, you want to go on a diet, so you completely, you know, cut down your calories to nothing that doesn't last so if you do it the opposite way that's also not going to last yeah absolutely you're 100 right and even in the situations when i i do show people like a visual representation of like you know this could be uh again that visual representation of what a day's worth of food might look like for you even in that situation i've never encountered a person who has not made the jump from where they are to that quote ideal day of food or that more ideal volume of food in one step even in those cases when i go all right here's the visual representation Mm -hmm. it's still all in the name of helping people challenge their comfort zone a little bit and make those weekly or daily steps Mm -hmm. towards that rather than feeling like everything should come all at once i'm i'm not like i know the introducing a lot of things all at once i'm sure there's some people that works for like that in in the deep end uh kind of way but personally that's not how i work Mm. i i I work in steps with people Mm. a little bit more and try to give help them to uh get a a comfortable grasp of the big picture that we're working on while also been focusing okay so that's the big picture but 
he is the the actionable thing that we're doing today yeah I think taking it one step at a time as well like you said really allows you to unpack things and obviously a lot of the time with with people that um, struggle with eating disorders there's a massive element of food often food is almost the vehicle rather than the actual issue Um, and I think by taking it slower it allows you to unpack maybe those kind of thoughts or unhelpful beliefs that you might have um that then cause you to restrict or binge or whatever behavior you're engaging in so how do you work with your clients to sort of work through to unpack those beliefs and then kind of support them to maybe change the beliefs that they've got about themselves or food or or whatever i provide people with a lot of reflective questions something that i i don't have to work really hard not to do this because it's not really in my nature to do it anyway but when when people come and work with me i do my best to make it really clear that they can share as much or as little of their personal life with me as they want to if someone wants to share a lot i'm here for that if Mm -hmm. if they want to say this is what made me feel this way and this is what made me feel that way Um, this is the experience that I feel led me to develop this belief. I 100% encourage that, that process of reflection, how much of that someone shares with me is completely up to them. So Mm -hmm. often I'll provide questions like what could be your earliest memory of this particular feeling, or when you think of, you know, the, when we establish what the voice of someone's personal critic or self-critic kind of sounds like, you know, who does that sound like? Does that remind you of anyone? You know, all, all these kind of questions to kind of establish a bit of a, a chain of events to understand a little bit more about, okay, why we might be feeling the way that we're feeling. Mm-hmm. And like I keep saying in doing that, someone can share as much or as little of that with me as they like. Um, and from there, with that understanding, it becomes a bit more about what I mentioned earlier in terms of creating the corrective experience, like being able to identify what circumstances led to the set of feelings that you currently have. So identifying what you were given as opposed to what you really needed Mm-hmm. and then look at ways that we can get you what you need get you the experience you need rather than the experience you had mm-hmm. and that often comes after a bit of a process of of reflection again how much of that process someone shares with me versus how much they do in their own journaling in their own time it's up to them again because i'm I'm not a uh, psychotherapist or or psychologist or psychoanalyst, like I'm a coach. So yeah, how much someone shares is 100% their call. I really like that. And I think it's so important. It's not something that I've really thought about before, but it's something that I'm working through in my own therapy is really thinking about when did the eating disorder come along um, and what was I missing in my life at that time um, mm. that then meant that I needed the eating disorder to sort of fill that gap. And I think often, cause I've always thought, you know, 
oh, you had the perfect childhood and, and you've got no reason to have an eating disorder and all of this. And actually now we've been sort of reflecting on that. It's, it's not like the classical things that you might think of um, in terms of, you know, neglect or, or things like that. And therefore you turn to eating disorder, but more kind of not being able to have any autonomy or not being able yeah. to make my own decisions. And therefore the eating disorder comes in and is like, well, you don't need to make any decisions if I'm here because I make them all for <laughs> you. Um, and it, I think it's really interesting to unpack that. And I'm sure there's so many different sort of reasons as to why somebody might feel sort of that they're lacking something um, yeah. and therefore kind of need the eating disorder to, to fill that hole. And then I think it's then becomes very scary when you think about letting go of the eating disorder, because for however long that's been your answer. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, what do I do now? Like, what do I replace yeah. it with? Yeah, that's so true. I know that um, in my own journey with food, uh, through my own like upbringing, food became very much the only or one of the the only methods, one of the only couple of methods I had for essentially self-soothing. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm not unique in that experience, like not to diminish my experience, but I know there are mm -hmm. so many of us out there who, you know, as a result of how we're raised and the environment that we're brought up in, again, like nobody's fault. Like mm -hmm. often in these situations, everyone's parents, everyone's family, everyone's like doing the best they can with the, the financial, physical, emotional resources that they mm -hmm. had. Uh, but our developing minds draw conclusions about our experiences based on what limited experience we have. Mm -hmm. uh, and that leads to certain beliefs, behaviors, whatever it might be. And sometimes we just need to untie a few of those knots like mm -hmm. later down the track. But I, I know definitely that self-soothing uh, was, was a role that food was playing in my life for mm. a very, very long time before I developed a bit more awareness around that and started bringing a bit more self-compassion to the process. And that was really difficult because before I understood self-compassion like properly, I always associated being kind to myself with letting go of any ambition, um, just essentially being lazy letting myself go not achieving anything whatever but it, it took me a long time to realize like that's not what self-compassion is mm -hmm. self-compassion is doing the things that you feel you know that light you up and even working really hard sometimes but mm -hmm. acknowledging the fact that you're human throughout that process and yeah that's definitely been a journey yeah yeah, I think it's really interesting, this idea. I think we often, you know, if we think about self-care or self-compassion, it's often quite like um, airy-fairy and, you know, like doing yoga and, and stuff like that and slowing down and doing face masks and lighting a candle. All things, can I add, that I absolutely despise. Um, <laughs> like, I'm more so getting into the yoga now, actually. One of my friends is a yoga instructor and I am enjoying that, but they're not things that, you know, make me happy. Things that make me happy are like seeing my friends or, yeah. you know, doing some art or going to the gym if I've got the right intentions and things like that, getting outside and being active. And, you know, typically you might think, 
oh, but they're quite like intense things. But the compassion also for me comes in when I actually allow myself to be like, oh, I'm a little bit tired. You know, I'm a little bit socially exhausted or I'm a little bit tired, so I'm not going to go for a a hike today or whatever. Um, It's that balance, I think, for me, that is when the self-compassion comes in. And then that's when, you know, when I really check in with myself rather than like, no, that's the thing that you enjoy doing. So you've got to go and do it. Sometimes you do need to maybe chill on the sofa and watch your favorite movie. Um, yeah. But it can be hard to find that balance, especially when, you know, you do have the mindset of because it's all it's that all or nothing again, isn't it? Of like, well, if you're not doing the things that you enjoy, then you're not looking after yourself. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. The the conclusions that we draw about what self-compassion or self-care is based on the well-publicized images that we see mm. sometimes can confuse the, the process a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw um, one of the um, emails that you sent out for your mailing list was about um, sort of like the reliability of food and the escape that the binge eating gave you. And I'm sure a lot of people could, sort of resonate with that so I wondered if you'd mind maybe sharing a bit of that and then how you also stepped away from that because I think that can feel quite overwhelming to think about not having those behaviors yeah absolutely that is a really personal one for me because I've got a few very vivid memories Mm. that are, are, are very much tied into that like to 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 share with you something really personal i i literally remember the uh when my parents were getting divorced the the day that my dad actually packed the last of his stuff in his truck and drove away the first thing that i was given was a a freddo frog like a, a chocolate frog like and um then i have another you know there's all kinds of other memories that that appear uh but there's one in particular where i remember like as a teenager going to a party where um someone i had this huge crush on at the time was there and i was i was so socially awkward like i was i was not i was not the cool kid in school um and i was really socially awkward uh partly because I was investing so much time and energy in an eating disorder and this obsession with how I looked that I wasn't, I was behind in terms of how I was able to relate in social situations. Mm -hmm. So I always found parties and all these kind of things like really difficult. And I remember going to this particular party and um, you know, this girl that I had this huge crush on at the time was there. I remember like her, kind of like hooking up with someone else or whatever and me going home um, and sitting at home by myself eating a box of like Cadbury's like favorites Mm -hmm. and that that experience of not really feeling like I was fitting in socially not really feeling like I was able to relate not really feeling like I understood what was going on like when when all my friends would go out clubbing and everything like that like i'd go out clubbing and for me i was there like it's noisy um at that stage maybe this shows my age people were still smoking in clubs so i'm like (laughs) it's it's really noisy it smells like shit 
I can't have a conversation with a friend. Everyone's drinking like a lot. Um, and I was too concerned about the calories to, to mm. eat, to enjoy having drinks with friends. So there was like nothing for me in that environment. So I would always bail early and stop at the Seven Eleven on the way home and grab a block of chocolate and a bag of crisps or, you know, whatever it was, and then go home and spend the rest of the evening watching a movie by myself with food, because that was the most reliable experience that I had at the time. Uh, it was always there. And personally, the, the process of or a big part of the process of breaking away from that was feeling more secure in my own individuality, mm. uh, stepping away from being hyper-focused on weight and shape to the point where it was stunting me socially. Like that was, that was obviously a big part of it. Like stressing about that stuff less or going through what I needed to go through to stress about that stuff less, less in the name of being more available emotionally and mentally to participate socially in things, which left me feeling less alone. Um, and then as well, really becoming more secure in the fact that I didn't like stuff like clubbing. I, di I didn't like the things that so many of my peers were doing and, and being okay with going, you know what, I, I don't like this scene. So regardless of what it means about me being cool or not, or whatever the fuck, I'm going to go and find people who I feel in alignment with. And that process then meant that, you know, I, I didn't really have to rely on food for that yeah. role in my life anymore. It still mm. required a bit of time to untie some of the knots with food because I would still then habitually lean on food so then that became about making some more mindful decisions after that and challenging the the well-ingrained habit but making those changes in my life and fulfilling the needs that i had without food was really important yeah well i'm really appreciative of you sharing that i think a lot of people will be able to resonate with what you've gone through and I definitely think, you know, those experiences of when a tough thing happens as a child to be given food. Um, yeah. yeah, I completely, you know, can relate to that. And it was always food was a treat or food was something that you got when either you were good or when you were sad or, or things like that. Um, but I really liked what you were saying about, you know, I think often as well, we will be in a situation where we don't feel like we fit in. And food does allow you it's something that you kind of you know you have a relationship with food that is yours and that is your own and you can you can feel so lonely in the world if you've not quite found your people but food mm. provides you an escape from that loneliness whether it's you know it numbs your emotions or it distracts mm. you or it just takes you away for a bit it it gives you something that maybe you're missing from socializing with people or whatever because you haven't found quite found your thing um and I think that is something that's so important is, you know, through recovery or, you know, if you're exploring your relationship with food, kind of understanding who you are really and what your values are and what's important to you. And then that allows you to find other people that have similar things, but also 
it allows you to be honest with yourself rather than I think a lot of the time that the uncomfortableness can come because we we aren't being honest with ourselves about who we are and so that feels uncomfortable and you feel like a bit of a fraud so you lean into food but actually being able to you know know who you are deep down you don't then need the eating disorder to sort of fill those gaps I agree so much so much and then the final thing that I wanted to ask you, because I saw that you had a post um, post about it, was just thinking about some stress management techniques that you might use for your um, with your clients. Just if someone's listened and thought, oh, my God, I resonate with this so much, just some handy tips that they could take away. Sure. So prevention is always best. Mm-hmm first so my first port of call when i'm working with someone is to look at things like work-life balance sleep all those kinds of things and in no way is my own process of like sleep and work-life balance and everything like that always perfect Mm -hmm. so i wouldn't want anyone to ever think that they need to get their perfect eight hours every single night with this perfect bedtime routine and the perfect work-life balance, like those things don't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, though it helps to be able to recognize when we're doing something that might be, you know, difficult, but sustainable, or, you know, slightly less than ideal, but still sustainable. And we can still find a way to, to be healthy during this situation. Or if we're doing something that's just like, this is not doing you any favors whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So you know, having some semblance of, you know, a regular sleep routine and looking at work-life balance and work-life balance can be a really difficult one uh, because, you know, this not everyone works for themselves and whether you work for yourself or whether you're employed, you've got certain responsibilities and things to do and family commitments and everything like that. So I would say, try not to look at your life situation and think, Oh God damn it. This is so up the Creek that (laughs) there's just no, there's no wiggle room anywhere. Like this is so up the Creek that I may as well just not make any changes anywhere. Like really allow yourself to go. Okay. If I make like a few 1% changes where I, wherever I can, you know, even if it's, something around bedtime or hydration or something a series of one percent changes in terms of preventing burnout and preventing exhaustion are going to be really important uh secondly the company that we keep to be honest like who are you hanging out with who are you spending the most time with it's a difficult one i know but are they it's are those relationships really doing you any favors Mm. like i I had a client literally yesterday tell me about his parents visiting for Easter and, you know, sitting at the the table for dinner and his mum just not being able to talk about anything other than food and dieting and, and all this kind of stuff. And obviously this guy, he's not going to cut his mum out of his life, mm. right? Like there are some people that we, we can't cut certain people out of our lives, but we can go into interactions with those people with a little bit more mindfulness, a little bit more perspective, and maybe not spend all of our time with them. Maybe draw a few healthy boundaries in terms of how much time we spend with people who might be a little bit draining mm. on on all fronts. So again, 
it, it's not going to be perfect. Don't expect perfection. Just if we can move the needle a little bit in a, in a number of different areas, we're going to in, experience like a measurable difference. So our basic habits, preventing burnout, the company we keep, when we actually experience maybe being triggered or moments of stress that have crept up on us. So there's that difference between preemptive action and then response focused action. We need different actions and skill sets for both mm. in more kind of response focused action. I've got a number of different clients that approach this from different angles. My personal approach is to get very physiology focused. So I might be in a situation where might be experiencing a confrontation or like something might not be going right. I, I might be feeling triggered and I'll ex like really get mindful about the physical experience of the emotion that, that mm -hmm. I'm going through with that period of time. So rather than let my thoughts and my head kind of like run away with me uh, in dealing with stress, I'll do my best to bring my attention out of my head and into my present moment, mm -hmm. like physical experience. I'll do things like, okay, what, what can I manage in this moment? I can adjust my breathing. I can adjust my posture. I can take a moment. I can focus on the single task that I have in front of me rather than getting overwhelmed, trying to think of the backlog of things or big to-do lists that might be in the <laughs> back of my mind. So trying to bring ourselves into the present moment and manage the physical symptoms of stress as a response if you just find yourself dumped into that mm -hmm. moment, despite your best efforts to offset it, that combination of things is usually the first port of call to kind of get a foothold in stress management. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I think you give such a incredibly thorough sort of overview there. So thank you. Um, oh, and yeah no that's going to be so helpful for for people i am so sure that people will want to hear more from you um you've given so many great tips um and insights throughout the podcast so where can they go to find out more about you thank you so much hannah um my instagram is a reliable place to find me m kane coaching that's m k a i n coaching and my podcast strong not starving is another reliable place to get hold of me. So those, those are probably the two most reliable ports of call. Amazing. And the podcast, what sort of content, um, what sort of things do you chat about on your podcast? Very much breaking away from disordered eating patterns and stress and anxiety surrounding food and body image and creating more rewarding relationship with with nutrition and food and exercise. So that's definitely what I focus on in that podcast with a bit of an emphasis on breaking cycles of binge eating. Cause obviously binge eating was such a, a, a big hurdle for me uh, mm. for so many years that I've put extra effort into making sure that I'm really upskilled and, and, know what's going on in that particular area of things. So binge, binge eating and, and our pathway out of binge eating is always a cornerstone of what I'm presenting. And then 
beyond that, we, we look at, yeah, creating that more rewarding relationship with food and exercise. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. It sounds definitely like it aligns with this podcast very well. <laughs> well thank um, you so much for having me today. And thank you yeah. so much for the inv- invitation. Your questions have been really amazing. I've, I've oh, really good. chatting with you. Yeah, no, it's been lovely. It's been so nice to explore it with you um, and get, yeah, get all your insight and everything. So I'm glad that you enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, yeah, you'll definitely have to come and visit us on um, Strong Not Star. Oh, please. Yeah, I absolutely love it. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. But if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.